0: From the Museum of Science, Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we answer questions from you, our audience. I'm your host, Eric O'Day. Today, we are bringing back Sue, our bird aficionado, who has been an educator at the Museum of Science for over three decades. Sue, thanks for coming back onto the podcast and answering some more questions about our feathered friends. Thank you, Eric. Our first question today is from Allie, and she asks, why bird eggs are different colors and patterns?
1: That is a really awesome question. A little bit about the biology of that, the egg is formed in the reproductive system of the female birds. And the very last thing that happens if the bird is going to lay an egg that has a color or pattern on it, there are little glands just at the exit where all of that pattern will be laid down on the egg. That's the last thing that goes on the egg before it's laid. And most scientists think that's about camouflaging the eggs in the nest to keep them from being preyed upon. Different birds have different patterns. It usually has something to do with the habitat they're in, the types of nests they have. Sandpipers, for example, lay their eggs right on the sand. They don't build a nest of any kind. And those eggs are speckled, so they look just like the sand they're laid on. This doesn't fool everybody, though. There is a parasitical bird called the cowbird, and it actually lays its eggs in other birds' nests, and then it takes off, and so that poor bird will have to raise their offspring as their own. And after a cowbird hatches, they will actually wiggle around in the nest and boot the other nestlings out. So the actual babies of those birds will go over the side and the poor parent birds will keep feeding this other bird's chick until it's grown. But cowbirds actually will lay eggs in other birds' nests and birds sometimes pick up on the fact that it's a cowbird egg if the color and pattern On the eggs don't match. However, cowbirds can actually change the color and pattern that are on their eggs for the nest they're going to dump their eggs in.
0: All right, our next question comes from Mia, who asks why woodpeckers peck at trees?
1: Uh, I love this question because woodpeckers are. Fascinating birds. So, they are basically looking for insects. That's the main part of their diet. And they have very sensitive hearing, so they can land on the trunk of a tree. Not only can they see holes bored by beetles that might have bored down into the tree and laid their eggs, and then little grubs are down and they're wriggling around. They can hear those grubs. And they'll start using their beak to start to go after those things. So, you'll see a woodpecker hammering away at a tree. They're trying to get down underneath the bark to get at those grubs. Now, a really cool thing about woodpeckers is everything about their body is adapted for hunting insects this way. And scientists have discovered that every time a woodpecker pecks, they do it with so much force that they're actually creating about 1500, what we call Gs of force on their heads. And to give you perspective, a G is just force of gravity. Humans are usually unconscious after about five G's and woodpeckers, they can do this without knocking themselves out or giving themselves concussion. And everything about their body is adapted for them to hunt insects in that manner.
0: So astronauts coming back from space in those extreme conditions that we think of in the capsule are pulling four or five G's and woodpeckers are at 1500 just to get a snack.
1: Yep, and absolutely no effect on them. Everything about their is adapted. They have a brain that's kind of oval. They have very little fluid inside their skull. Their skull is actually spongy. And almost all of the force that they get on their head because of their bone structure is transferred to their body and back into the trunk of a tree. If you ever notice the way a woodpecker braces itself on a tree, most of the force actually goes into the tree itself because of the bird's bone structure. Very small percentage of it ends up in the head where it's actually dissipated as heat.
0: We've got a couple more questions about bird observations, birding. So Juliet and Henry would like to know what to do to attract hummingbirds.
1: We should all be thinking a lot more about ways that we can attract birds to our yard. You may have heard that bird populations are dropping in the United States for a number of different reasons, and so when we can create the habitat for them, that's great because we may be able to save a lot of species on a backyard-by-backyard basis. So for hummingbirds, they are nectar feeders. They love the fluidy nectar that comes from flowers that produce it. And typically, good hummingbird flowers are ones that are going to be tubular-shaped and tend to be red colored. Don't all have to be. One that's a really good plant to grow is something called campsis, C-A-M-P-S-I-S, which is called trumpet vine. And it has little trumpet shaped flowers, lots of different colors. All of them will work. Grow one of those vines, you're going to attract hummingbirds. Also, a lot of the plants in the sage family, which have tubular flowers, Fuchsias, which you can buy in the garden centers in the spring as hanging pots. So all of these plants attract hummingbirds, which is awesome. So that's my first choice. If you don't really have a place to grow anything, having something like a hummingbird feeder would be great. So basically it's a special feeder that allows a hovering hummingbird to dip its beak in a little opening and slurp up some sugar water that you mix up. There's a lot of good sources online for creating your own hummingbird feeders. They tend to be very inexpensive if you want to buy them. And then you mix up sugar syrup and just keep it well supplied, and that will eventually attract some hummingbirds. The one caveat with using that is you need to keep that feeder scrupulously clean. Sugar water is very good for growing bacteria as well, and you don't want to make your hummingbirds sick. So if you do use a hummingbird feeder, make sure you change that sugar water often.
0: And do we have hummingbirds that we could potentially observe here in Boston and in the suburbs in the city?
1: Absolutely. I live right in the middle of a very densely populated area where the houses are like a nanometer apart. And we get hummingbirds that fly by looking for flowers and feeders all the time. And typically it's ruby-throated hummingbirds. That's the most common one in this area.
0: And our last question for today comes from Cora, who says that, I can hear owls in my neighborhood, but how can I see one?
1: Oh, Cora, yes. If you're an owl fan, it's often frustrating. We as humans are a day shift. We like to be out in the daytime and owls are out at night. So we sometimes don't overlap the times we're going to run into them. So we have to use some of our science detective skills to find them. Sometimes you'll find an owl hidden in a tree because there'll be other birds mobbing it and then you can find them. But you might even have to look then because they are so well camouflaged. Their feathers blend in with the bark of trees so beautifully. They can be really hard to find even if you're looking right at them. We had screech owls near us because we had heard them. We knew we had them. I'll talk about that in just a second. But I walked out underneath the tree. The screech owl was sitting in it. It took me a few seconds to see this tiny little screech owl staring down at me even though I was just right underneath literally 10 feet away from it. Birding by ear is really good for finding owls. You'll hear them though very late at night, so if you're up past your bedtime, you could actually hear them calling, usually just after sunset or just before sunrise, and they are usually announcing that they're out for a night of hunting, announcing it to every other owl that might be in that area that you're in their turf, their hunting turf. However, particularly in the nesting season for owls, which is late winter, believe it or not, they're having babies pretty early. You can call an owl in. So if you can get a nice sound of an owl call, that you want to attract, that you know is an owl that lives in your area and you think you might have actually heard them before, you could go outside, particularly on a bright full moon night and start playing that sound and you might lure a curious owl in who wants to see who's calling. Who is that other owl in my turf? So calling an owl in is a great way to try and see owls more closely.
0: All right, Sue, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about birds with our listeners.
1: You're welcome, Eric. I had a lot of fun. There's nothing I'd rather talk about.
0: If you'd like to have one of your questions answered by a visiting expert or a Museum of Science educator, you can email them to sciencequestions at mos.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Pulsar, don't forget to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify, as well as leaving a rating or review for us. Please visit mos.org slash sciencematters to support MOS at home. That's it for this episode of Pulsar. Join us again soon.